This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Rachel Maddow Show, The Young Turks, The Majority Report, The Green News Report, The Media Matters Minute, The David Pakman Show, and 350.org. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode contains explicit references to science and facts and will likely anger those who live in a fantasy world. Here are some of the largest cities in America by population, some of the largest metropolitan metropolitan areas in America. Uh, There's the New York metro area, uh, of course, with a combined population of 19 million people, larger than the population of all but four states in our country. Uh, Then there's the Los Angeles metro uh, with almost 13 million people. Uh, There is Miami, Florida. Uh, There's Boston, Massachusetts. There's the San Francisco Bay Area, there is Seattle up in Washington State, there's San Diego, Uh, there's Tampa, Florida, uh, and St. Petersburg area, there's Baltimore, Maryland, Uh, there's the Virginia Beach area, that metro area including Norfolk, Uh, there is Jacksonville, Florida, Uh, and of course there is... New Orleans. So pop quiz. What do all of these large American cities have in common? You can cheat by looking at this map. What do all of these large American population centers have in common? The answer is that all of these major American cities are right on the edge of America, right on the coastal edge up next to the sea. Now, you could also add even some more major cities to this list if you wanted to. Uh, Places like Philadelphia um, or Washington, D.C. or uh, Houston or Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, Those are all sort of coastal cities, too, in the sense that they are near the coast and they're on waterways. Uh, But just for the sake of argument, let's not even include those. Let's just be narrowly focused here, talking narrowly about big, populous, major metropolitan areas that are right up against the sea. If you add up the population of these cities on America's coastal edges, the population of just This America is more than 63 million people. That means more than one in five Americans, it means roughly one in five Americans, uh, one out of every five people who can call themselves American lives in a metropolitan area that is right directly on the coast. A population roughly equivalent to all the people who voted either for John McCain or Barack Obama in 2008. One entire side of the voting population in this upcoming election is the portion of our country that lives on the edge. As we continue to cope with and rescue people from and now recover bodies from the impact of this one storm on the most populated part of America's coastline today, the governor of New York State has been again and again trying to draw people's attention to this not being just one event, but a challenge for the whole country that events like this might now be happening with increased frequency. Not just in New York, but in all of these heavily populated places that before now had a fairly predictable relationship with the body of water, with the ocean that they abut. What if that predictability, that balance and expectation, developed over the past couple of centuries in these cities on the water, is now over? Mostly this gets talked about in terms of the politics of people denying that climate change is a real thing and big policy debates over whether we should try to stop climate change and global warming. But whether or not that political debate ever gets resolved in the political arena, it may be getting resolved otherwise. As officials responsible for the 60 million Americans who live on the edge of our country are just starting a practical discussion about there being a change in the frequency of extreme weather. Look, climate change is... uh... I, uh, climate change is a con- controversial subject, right? Um, people will debate whether or not there is climate change, whether or not um, it's a cycle, whether it's global warming. That's a, a whole political debate that I don't want to get into. I want to talk about the frequency of extreme weather situations, which is not political. The frequency of extreme weather situations is way up, right? We just went through Hurricane Irene. Um, just over a year ago and uh, there's only so long you can say well this is once in a lifetime and it will never happen again and then it happens again and then we say well this is once in a lifetime now really for sure it's not going to happen again and then it happens again Um, I joke uh, that um, we every two years we have a 100 year flood I believe it is going to happen again I pray that it's not I believe that it is Because of this storm, we are experiencing a particularly nonpartisan moment in American politics. You got the president touring the disaster site today with the Republican governor, who previously had nothing nice to say about the president. But today they are obviously working together and working together well. There is an expectation that people will put political fights aside 
for practical problem solving at times like this in our country. Hi, everyone. Just a quick note about Best of the Left being nominated for two podcast awards at podcastawards.com this year. We're up for awards in the Best Produced category as well as the News and Politics category. And not only that, lots of other progressive outlets are nominated in all sorts of other categories as well. So I suggest voting for Sam Cedar's Majority Report for the People's Choice, The Young Turks for Best Video Podcast, Citizen Radio in Comedy, Throwing Shade for the GLBT category, and Savage Love in the Mature category and consider doing what I've done and set a daily alarm for yourself so you can vote for all of your favorite shows in all the various categories each day at podcastawards.com until November 15th when voting closes. Thanks so much for your support. One of my personal uh, problems with the mainstream media is that Republicans and um, academics on their side will come on the air and, and deny climate change, deny global warming, and generally the hosts don't challenge them that much. Uh, Chris Matthews is not one of those hosts. Uh, he was very strong in the way that he attacked climate change deniers on his show. Uh, let's take a look at that. Who are these people, uh, Professor, who fight you? Uh, who are these people that write op-ed pieces in the Wall Street Journal with such assurance that this is all bogus science? Who are they phonies? Are they quacks? Well, there, are there are different motivations. Yeah. Well, Professor Oppenheimer, back in the 60s, we called such people pigs. <laughs> pigs. No, really. They don't care about the planet. They don't care about the destruction of war. All they want is what they got. their stuff, and they want more of it. Is that what we're facing here, just greed? Uh, listen, Chris, I'm not into name-calling here. I think we've well, got to... We, <laughs> fine, that's your <laughs> job, not mine. So uh, Oppenheimer's on the right side. He's, he's talking about yeah, climate exactly. change. And, and uh, Chris Matthews is talking about people not on the exactly. show but that deny climate right. uh, change. What's well, a fascinating phenomenon is that before I got on MSNBC and as I got on MSNBC, I would be chastised for being too far out there, like, right? Because I use strong language, et cetera, et cetera. Now, in some ways, Chris Matthews has gone yeah. further out than me because I. Pigs. It's like well, a weird no, no. thing. He's, he's like, getting angrier and angrier right. because of the way he's being labeled, and he is seeing this side of him. I, an anecdote: I was at the Republican convention, and the last night of the convention, I was at dinner, and in the restaurant was Chris Matthews, and in the restaurant were a bunch of Republicans, and he engaged them on racism, and they engaged, you know, they they, they remained engaged and said that we're not racist. And he said, "Yeah, you're all racist. You're all racist. You're all wow." And I, an I was watching story. that happen. He almost had wow. to be talked down by his his friends. He got so mad at these people. Was he drinking? Uh, so I don't know if he was drinking. Yeah, <laughs> he uh, is Irish. He is Irish, obviously. So <laughs> <Right>. yeah, <laughs> you're racist. <laughs> um, Play the role of Chris Matthews. But, but what, you know, the, the whole thing with with Matthews is that I think this is starting to get to him. I think he he tried so long to be the fan without an opinion, although, you know, he did have an opinion. I actually like him, and you and I have, have had disagreements over what he provides. I like that he is like I am a little bit. He just loves the stuff so much. Mm -hmm. It just gets a hold of him sometimes. Yeah. His enthusiasm is there, and then he goes off. But I see where he's coming from now, because when you're dealing with people who are so bullheaded about this stuff, you, you just lose it. Yeah, no, I, it, but it's not that alone. I mean, that's, that's what makes it a more interesting thing, right? It's about incentive systems, right? So before, he, Chris has been on MSNBC a long, long time, and yeah. he was told in no uncertain terms, I'm sure, uh, don't do that, well, right? Don't be out there, don't take stands like that, try to play it down the middle, you're going to have a Republican guest, you're going to have a Democratic guest, which he liked and he enjoyed, yeah. and I think that he was, he likes the establishment, he yeah. likes the politicians, he, you know, and in, in a kind of a, boyish way that has its own charm. Right, I agree. Right, right, but I think that ultimately hurts the conversation, if you ask me, right, in terms of, you know, how we view politicians, etc. And so I, I have a fundamental disagreement with them on that, but I think that basically they realize, hey, you know what, MSNBC going to the left is working, being more yeah. vituperative yeah. is working, and so uh, let's, let's let them do what's in his... You know what he wants to well, do. Well, John just said and something so, under his breath: "As long as you're smart about it," which is, right, I think, yeah. a big part of it. Well, which is, is you know, you can talk more about that. But that, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that I kind of wish that he hadn't used the word "pig" because I think that that distracts us from, I think, what a very good point that he was making is that 
we understand that the climate denialists are lying to us, like we do. Um, but you have to explain why they're lying. It's not enough to say that they're lying. And I think that the fundamental dishonesty in the discussion that we have about climate change is that our side went into this thing saying, we're going to find out what's happening with the world, and now we're describing it in the way that we, that we think is most accurate. But their side did not do that. They went into it thinking, we are not responsible, and I will find any explanation for why we're not responsible. It doesn't matter if it's the wobbling of Mars. I'm going to find something that explains away our part in it. I think that that needs to be laid clear to people. You can't just say, we're right, they're wrong. And labeling them as greedy, saying they don't care about our children, they don't care about what happens to future generations, I think that that could be an effective way to frame it. Well, I think that you got to do both. And mm -hmm. so that's why on this show all the time we lay out the numbers. And you know, people uh, oftentimes on TV otherwise, understandably so, hey, it's all about emotion, it's not about numbers. But no, no, but you got to make your case. you got to show why you're right. You can't just yell and scream without backing it up. So we yeah. show the record heat in July. We saw the extreme weather events of 331 months in a row that we've been above the 20th century average. We show that climate change through the numbers is undeniable. And we've shown all the graphs and et cetera in the past. And then I don't mind you calling them pigs. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Because, because... <laughs> It's or it's you should be angry about it. I mean, look, we've had this discussion for a long time on the Young Turks, and we've been pro anger for a while, yeah. right? So it's actually to me, it's a little refreshing to see uh, the establishment move in that direction and say, "Hey, wait a minute, I'm a little angry about what you guys are doing because it's nonsense." Yeah, well, it's a side of the story that only you know about what sort of the edicts of MSNBC might be and 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 how he was told to behave. But I think it's uh, you know. Like Sandy, I think it's a little bit of a perfect storm. I mean, it's a little bit of that, and it's a little bit of him just saying, I, I can't take this anymore. And a lot of people just coming after him and, and, and coming after, you know, scientists and coming after black people, and come, where he just says, enough. a sense of of what's going on in New York obviously there's massive devastation in New Jersey and also I mean in Connecticut uh, and in I think the, down in, in Delaware and uh, I don't know as much in the Carolinas although I think um, some, I mean... Uh, the Rockaways and Queens? Well, yes. I mean, throughout New York, uh, the New York area. Um, we're now at 62 people dead in the U.S., 131 worldwide. Haiti just, uh, I mean, already was in dire straits. What's going on in Haiti is just absolutely devastating. Um, 34 people have died in New York Matt uh, was talking about a guy in Queens, just in his apartment, right? In his house. Yeah, he was in his home, just laying in his bed, and a tree crashed through his house, crushed him in his bed, and he died. He was the first death in New York, I believe. And what's going on in Manhattan now? You know, what, what's stunning to me is because up, uh, I live uptown on the west side, upper west side, and... You know, we had a lot of wind blowing. I was watching a crane. I was showing Milo the pictures of the crane that basically, I don't know, reversed itself and uh, was hanging by well, maybe not so much a thread, but down in Midtown. And there was a crane that we can see out our window, and I was showing her exactly what had happened to the crane in Midtown. And by halfway through the day I realized that crane was spinning on its axis this is a crane that is 20 stories up plus another 10 worth of a jib and that thing was spinning uh, so but aside from that and some a couple of down trees and some branches not so bad below 23rd Street maybe in 30th Street in Manhattan it is their power is still out in some places, there's no water, and we are talking about hundreds of thousands of people, well into the hundreds of thousands of people, without power and plumbing, in some instances, downtown New York. No cell phone service 
downtown New York. As far north as 23rd Street on 10th Avenue, massive flooding. I know a couple of artists who lost all of their work in galleries because of the flooding there, uh, which is not necessarily comparable to people who are living uh, without uh, power and water, but uh, and businesses shut down. Uh, even where we are on 38th Street, many businesses not open because people can't get into the city. Now, kudos to the MTA. They have opened up some subway lines, uh, which is... Uh, in, uh, in my estimation, amazing feat. I think this is much earlier than anybody anticipated. We're still looking at the biggest storm and, I guess, infusion of water into the subway system in 108 years, in the, in the 108 years that the subway system has existed. I believe their exact words were, it's the biggest disaster the, the subway system has ever seen. And... what you know, What we're seeing in the city is unprecedented and should not be a surprise in that way that it would be unprecedented because our baseline of the sea levels versus a hundred years ago or even 50 years ago is, is six to 12 inches higher and this is a function of global warming we know the seas are rising we also know that climate change amps up the factors that contribute to big storms. Yes, there were hurricanes in this. Uh, there's been hurricanes in New York before, particularly uh, you know problematic for Long Island. In uh, Worcester, my folks always used to talk about the 1953, I think it was, hurricane. But the size of the storms and the baseline have changed. Because when you have warming oceans, it provides just more energy for storms. The atmosphere also retains more moisture because it has warmed. And then this gets into the, uh, to the storms as well. Right after the, the hurricane, there was a giant snowstorm in West Virginia. How does that even make sense? Well, that's uh, that, because it, it banged into a nor'easter. But the bottom line is, is that we know that, that the preponderance of science has told us that this was going to happen. It's not surprised that it's happened. And we still have a tremendous amount of denial in this country. And this could be attributed to a lot of different things. Now, on the upside... There has been far more coverage of the concept of global warming in the past two days, both on cable news and particularly in print media. The uh, was Business Week. I think its cover this week is it's global warming, stupid. And uh, which is you know surprising to the extent that we have literally a hundred and fifty, two hundred. I think it was million dollars spent by fossil fuel industry, essentially, on advertising on television and probably in, the me in, in print media as well. The headwinds against the acceptance of global warming are massive. I think I wrote this in the email blast we sent out today, but when Chris Hayes, I think it was, I don't know, about a month ago, had said that not since slavery have we seen an, uh, an institution or a sector, essentially, in this country that was so massive in terms of financial stakes, in terms of it being overturned, in terms of, from a policy standpoint, from a society standpoint, uh, standpoint from a political standpoint uh, being reversed in some fashion and so these are the headwinds that we are looking at and it's important you know it's important to contemplate where this where 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 where, where the forces are aligned 
to making it hard for society to accept this argument. Because, look, it's not just a question of acknowledging that climate change exists. It is going to mean, in many respects, a fundamental reorganizing of the way we live our lives and our economies. Yes, to a certain extent, we can talk about green jobs. We can talk about creating more wind and solar power. But inevitably, to genuinely address this, it means both taking a leadership around the world in terms of diminishing the use of fossil fuels, and it's also going to mean, at home, changing the way that we structure things. From how much we use cars, to the way that we set up local economies, to the way that we, we plan cities, the way that we plan communities, to the way that we invest in things like rail, on and on and on. Sort of weaning us off of this consumer-based economy. I mean, it's almost impossible to imagine the implications of it at this point because there's so few opportunities to sort of express what that looks like and it creates more headwinds yes and how many years can a mountain exist before it is washed to the sea yes and how many years can some people exist before they're allowed to be free Yes, and how many times can a man turn his head And pretend that he just doesn't see The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind Bipartisanship has broken out like a huge storm. It took a holiday as President Obama and New Jersey's Republican Governor Chris Christie did their jobs, focusing on recovery efforts. Governor Christie even threw politics and Mitt Romney under the bus on Fox News. I've got 2.4 million people out of power. Um, I've got devastation on the shore. I've got floods in the northern part of my state. If you think right now I give a damn about presidential politics, then you don't know me. The New York region's airports and mass transit systems are very slowly creaking back into limited operation. Economic losses are now estimated to be over $60 billion. That's B billion. Recovery will be a massive, expensive effort for the nation's most densely populated region. But as New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg says, New York City taxes itself and spends the money to protect us and to have the services that will keep us going. And I know of no other city that does that. Uh, which always annoys me when they say, oh, you're a high-taxed place. Yeah, and we get something for it. Again, all of this is going to be expensive, and this is a crucial point. Remember last year, House Republicans withheld emergency funding for FEMA until they got tax cuts in return. The public outcry forced them to drop it then, but now House Republicans, like Representative Steve King of Iowa, are already threatening to hold emergency disaster relief funding hostage again in the lame duck session after the election. Unbelievable. It's interesting to see, though, the immediate impacts of climate change are now finally dawning on public officials like New York's Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo, who says now is a good time to rebuild with resilience as the goal. We have a new reality when it comes to these weather patterns. We have an old infrastructure and we have old systems, and that is not a, a good combination. And that's one of the lessons that I'm going to take from this personally. Corporate media is also finally talking about climate change after not mentioning it at all in the presidential debates or in their election coverage. With just days to go before Tuesday's election, NBC's chief political correspondent Chuck Todd finally made the climate connection. Uh, let's not bury our heads in the sand when it comes to something has changed in the Atlantic. The climate has changed. It's called climate change, folks. Let's not bury our heads in the sand. Don't even get me started on NBC's Chuck Todd. I know. It is sad that it takes a natural disaster personally affecting them for them to say anything about it. We'll see if it sticks. Right, because Chuck Todd wasn't able to travel after the storm hit. So it did personally affect him. Now he gives a damn. Now remember, NASA scientists predicted this exact storm and flooding scenario for New York City years before it happened. They also predicted the devastation of Hurricane Katrina on New Orleans years 
years before it happened. They now say we are already committed to a certain amount of sea level rise within the next 50 years, no matter what we do, even if we stop carbon emissions today. So will this be a watershed moment? Time will tell, but time is also running out, as climate scientist Michael Mann explains to Al Jazeera. We are at a juncture. Um, uh, we have a period of somewhere between maybe five to ten years where uh, we will, if we continue with business as usual, uh, commit to fossil fuel uh, emissions, carbon emissions, that will lead to what most scientists would characterize as dangerous impacts on our climate. So will New York City take up the charge and lead the way as a testing ground for resilience in the 21st century? It's up to you, New York. If I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. It's up to you, New York, New As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Hurricane Sandy is making headlines today, and one preacher is blaming the gays for making it all happen. Of course! Of course! So this is preacher John McTurnan, uh, and he says the following. He says, God is systematically destroying America. Just look at what has happened this year. He continues to write okay, in a hold, blog Hold on, post. hold on, hold on. Let me get this right. So all the record temperatures throughout the uh, America this year, July hottest month ever recorded in American history, uh, all the uh, severe droughts uh, and and the land burning up and now the severe storms, etc. Not climate change. Turns out, gays. I, I, I love preachers like you, this. Yeah, because like 98% of the world's scientists tell him, hey, look, here's what the situation is. But he ignored the scientists to begin with. That's why he's a uh, fundamentalist pastor who says, oh, come on, those same scientists think that the Earth isn't 6,000 years old. Who would listen to those guys? It's obviously the gays that are causing the problem. That's why it's so pointless to try to get people to understand climate science when they're this stupid. When you are this religious and you are a fundamentalist and you actually believe that someone else's lifestyle is impacting the environment that you're living in, like physically, you're insane. And there's no point in trying to reason with you. And what sucks is that this guy actually has followers. Second of all, I, I went for an hour and a half long power walk in West Hollywood today. And mm-hmm. it was, it, the weather was marvelous. Mm-hmm. And you want to know something? West Hollywood has a huge gay community. What now? What's, what's up with the fabulous huh. weather in West Hollywood? Huh, that's interesting. And you know who, what got hit today? Wall Street. Hmm. I don't know. This guy's trying to send a message that we've been too kind to the bankers. There's a lot that we... I don't know what the Picard is thinking, but I've been trying to figure it out for a long time. Well, uh, let's get more instruction from the good pastor here. He continues to write, Obama is 100% behind the Muslim Brotherhood, which has vowed to destroy Israel and take Jerusalem. Both candidates are pro-homosexual and are behind the homosexual agenda. America is under political judgment, and the church does not know it. Well, lucky for them, uh, Chaplain McTurnan here is uh, here to point it out, because he's figured out it's definitely the Muslim Brotherhood working with the gays. <laughs> Not altogether that likely, to be honest with you, okay? But he has found a way to mix those two things together to blame uh, for a storm. There's some chance uh, was caused by the science that he's denied. But it's clever. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Jay Carmona. Fox News figures have already started to cast Hurricane Sandy as an event that has nothing to do with global warming. 
First up, we have Dana Perino and Eric Bowling. This is nothing to do with global warming. You guys are going to still say there's no more global warming, right? All right, okay. But you and Al Gore just can't simply say... It's getting caused a hurricane. Yes, global warming caused a hurricane. Put that in your lockbox, Bob, because it's not true. Look, where's the proof? These global warming claims have been debunked time and time again. Not content to let Fox News have all the fun... Rush Limbaugh joined in. I really haven't heard a whole lot about this being related to global warming. It's such a non-issue anymore because it's fraudulent. The whole thing has been proven to be a hoax. While many uncertainties remain about the effects of climate change on hurricanes, climate scientists do agree that global warming has exacerbated the flooding from storms like Sandy and is expected to increase the severity of hurricanes. There is no one on the left. There is no one who supports Obama who is going to get out and say in public that this is a hoax. Certainly no one who is a leader of the party. So exhibit A, when you are electing Mitt Romney, understand that it's not just Mitt Romney. There is, you are also empowering Political forces, if we're talking about the, what really needs to happen in this country is for people to rise up and fight back against the powerful elite, it is easier to do that when you have not empowered 40% of the population who believes diametrically opposite, who are invested in the diametrically opposite outcome. So I want you to listen to this clip of Rush Limbaugh and understand that a Mitt Romney presidency also empowers this guy. A story from Boston.com. I think that's the Boston Globe. It might be the Herald. I'm not sure, but uh, probably the Boston Globe. Doesn't matter. It's one of the two newspapers. A storm that many environmentalists see is linked to climate change has forced the end of a climate vigil in Boston. <laughs> All right, so Limbaugh is now, this is on Monday, I guess it was, laughing at the, somehow, he thinks it's poetic justice that when people are protesting that we're about to get massive storms because of climate, climate change, and it's not being brought up in the presidential debates in some way, he thinks it's poetic justice that a massive storm would shut them down. Continue. 200 environmentalist wackos had participated in a round-the-clock vigil since last Tuesday to protest the lack of discussion of climate change in the presidential debate, and they called on Scott Brown and, uh, and, and, and Princess Elizabeth Warren to discuss the issue. During now, of course, um, Limbaugh can't possibly be talking about anything without like, uh, an opportunity to pass on, on some misogyny. Of course, she's Princess Elizabeth Warren. I, I don't... I guess I don't listen to Limbaugh enough to know, but it's just because she's a woman is really what it comes down to. In their final schedule debate today. And then the storm hit and environmentalist wackos dispersed and the climate change convention ended. The only thing missing is Al Gore. Generally, what happens is they'll schedule a global warming conference. Gore will show up and it'll snow. Or a cold Positive. front. Will, will... Because we know that with global climate change, you can't have snow. You can't have snow. Now, of course, he doesn't get that he's making an analogy which is completely opposite. Um, but it doesn't matter. When you have environmentalists saying, hey, how come we're not talking about the global climate change and its capacity to create superstorms and destroy parts of our society, when that superstorm comes in and actually disperses their, uh, their protest, that's not analogous to when Al Gore has a conference and it snows but that's not his point anyways worm its way through but gore wasn't even there so a hurricane disrupted a climate vigil by the way uh i wasn't going to do it but grab some bites one and two i think it's one and two yep joe bastardi was on hannity last night uh he used to be with uh, accuweather now he's with weather bell analytics his chief forecaster and joe bastardi is great 
he just knocks all this global warming equals hurricanes theory out of the out of the water. And he's beside himself that this hurricane's being blamed on man-made global warming. Here's the first of two sound bites. My father used to call it the shortcut storm. He said he was confident he would see it before his days were numbered, and he's finally seen it. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is, get used to it along the East Coast. Maybe not this kind of track, but we are in a perilous time because the Atlantic's warm, the Pacific's cold. It's the 1950s all over again. Has nothing to do with global warming. Has everything to do with nature. And then we'll go back to where we were in the 60s and 70s. And he was, uh, you know, handling. So, the, so there's, there's a pattern to all this, right? I mean, this is not something unusual. Do you realize we had ten major hurricanes run the eastern seaboard between '54 and 1960? Six of them in '54 and '55. Six hurricane hits from North Carolina northward. So, uh, you know, the old Bachman Turner song. You ain't yeah. seen nothing yet. If anything, I was too quick on the gun several years ago when I said we were going to see this type of thing. So the um, I really haven't heard a whole lot about this being related to global warming. It's such a non-issue anymore because it's fraudulent. It, it, the whole thing has been proven to be a hoax. And if you're just, if you're new to the program, you hear me say that, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? You just No, the, the University of East Anglia, it's in uh, the United Kingdom. There was a whistleblower in there who anonymously released a bunch of inter-office emails within the last year and a half, two years, that quite clearly indicated that the people involved were knowingly faking and fudging data to fit their conclusion that man and man's activity was warming the atmosphere and the climate. Okay, here is a public service to those people who just tuned into Rush Limbaugh for the first time. There have been at least seven debunkings of everything he just said. Look it up in Bloomberg. You had uh, the National Science Foundation in this country debunked all of what he just said about ClimateGate, other than the fact that someone stole some emails. The Brits, I think, did four investigations. Every single one of them debunked it. I think there were two other international studies that debunked it. You have a guy who has 20 million listeners, who represents one of the intellectual pillars of the Republican Party, and if he's not enough for you, look at who heads their climate, uh, their their science, who chairs their science um, committees in the House, who's the ranking members of the science committee in the Senate. They all say global climate change is a hoax. Run and run as the rains come and I look I look here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. On Fox News, uh, they're trying to dispute climate change. Of course! So they're going to bring in an analyst. Uh, she's their stock senator. Okay. Now, but so it makes some sense. Because she's going to talk about insurance companies. And they don't actually love what she's about to say, because the insurance companies are definitely taking climate change into account. But also notice what she says in the beginning. Even though she's right about the insurance companies and the business aspect of it, look at for her, her excuse on what's causing climate change. Let's watch. Just a few days after Hurricane Sandy, and Democrats are already blaming it on climate change. And we expect that from Al Gore, but from New York Governor Andrew Cuomo during his press conference, his emergency press conference. There has been a series of extreme weather incidents. Uh, anyone that's not a political statement, that is a factual statement. Anyone who says uh, there's not a dramatic change in weather patterns, I think is denying reality. 
Mm. All right. Well, he's not alone. Congressman Henry Waxman is calling for a congressional hearing into the matter. So let's start with you, Liz. You know, Oxford University, places like the St. Petersburg Atmospheric Observatory, they all say there's climate change, but the problem is there's no consensus on what's causing it. Is it solar flares? Is it the Mars right. wobbles? Is it the Earth's axis tilting in a different way? I mean, that's the issue, but Lehman, Bro uh, Lehman Brothers was accounting for it in their analysis. So was Sanford Bernstein, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs. They're all saying, and the insurance industry is saying, yes, there is climate change. But, yeah, okay, but is the governor, Governor Cuomo, is he correct in saying, yes, there are more extreme weather events? It seems that way since 1980, if you look at insurance industry models. So, yes, how many different ways do I have to tell you? There is climate change, and I'm telling you the insurance companies are adjusting their prices because they believe there's climate change. And if the money dictates it, doesn't Fox Business agree? No, Stuart Varney. It's like, but let, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> okay, but even in the midst of her correct answer, she said, well, I don't know what's causing it. I mean, it could be solar flares. It could be a lot of flashlights. It could be Mars wobbles. That's what she said. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but we're not on Mars. <laughs> no, seriously, this crazy theory put out by with by one scientist. It, it, it's actually not even it's not even that crazy because it's not really related to us. It says the climate swings are much more extreme in Mars, which is true, because the, their planet has an orbit and and it wobbles more than than Earth does. But we don't have the same situation as Mars. We're not the same planet. We don't wobble as much. You know why Mars wobbles more? Because it doesn't have a large moon. We have a moon. It's a different planet. <laughs> They're awesome. Well, I tell you, climate change uh, on Pluto is because of the flares and the wobbles, so probably the same thing here. Except for the fact that we have a totally different set of circumstances here. Uh, okay, well, on the other hand, there was always a, there's always this kind of genius explanation going on at Fox News. Tide goes in, tide goes out. Never miscommunication. You can't explain that. You can explain why the tide goes tide in. Tide goes in, yeah. tide goes out. See, the out. water, the tide comes in, and it goes out, Mr. Silverman. Uh, maybe it always comes in on top of Mount Olympus, out. who's making the tides go in and no, out. No, no, but you can't explain that. <laughs> but wait a minute, the tide doesn't go in and out on Mars because there's no water and there's no moon. <laughs> what a bunch of jokers, man. When the facts are against you, well, what are you going to do? You got to go to this insanity. Tide goes in, tide goes out, there's Mars wobbles, obviously no climate change. Ha <laughs> ha, Al Gore. <laughs> These guys are... Unbelievable, man. Don't wanna be an American idiot. Don't want a nation under the new media. And can you hear the sound of hysteria? The subliminal my f America. The worst storm ever in some areas, and it's fascinating because watching a lot of the coverage of, of Hurricane Sandy, I was struck by how a discussion of climate change and global warming was almost completely not there. Now, you could argue, well, we were really trying to get information to, they were trying to get information, important information to people that were affected. There's a million reasons why it wouldn't come up, and that would be perfectly fine. But at no point in the lead up or even now or later or after any time, we really need to be talking about, you know, we, we have a, such a short period of time during which we have 200 year storms and there's no discussion of climate change. Now, I'll admit that I don't know whether this is a cyclical thing and we're just in a, in a point in a, in a part of the cycle right now where we have more extreme weather or whether this is really a permanent change being brought on by human activity on earth the thing is i don't want to take the chance that it's the latter and i think we need to be doing everything to reduce the possibility that this is 
anything other than a cyclical climate change issue. Right. It doesn't make sense to, to just dismiss this. I mean, we have to at least admit that there's a chance that we're causing this and that we can do something about it. Uh, if not, you're just being completely irresponsible. Absolutely. And what do we know? We know global uh, climate change has contributed to higher sea, surface, and ocean temperatures. We know that we have a, a warmer and moister atmosphere. We know that its effects are in the range of 5 to 10 percent. We also know that um, uh, we know that we're putting more carbon dioxide than ever into the atmosphere, and we have no point of reference because we had that we did not have this level of industrialization at any previous point. So my view is I don't know for sure, but I don't want to take any chances. And you know the other I got a lot of emails from people in New York, including saying, what would happen if the New York City electrical system uh, was damaged by salt water rising high enough? And what if, and we saw that this happened a little bit, water getting into the subway system, but what if the entire electrical system of New York City was completely corroded by water? What if the sewer system of New York City were totally flooded? There's the potential, because that's not a city that's prepared with levees and so, much, so on and so forth. There's the potential for what could arguably be permanent effects in a place like New York City from these storms. Right. So now will we see some effort to, uh, to put in place safety provisions that will help with something like this in the future, or what's going to happen? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, what's your thought about this when you think about these storms, Natan, in the context of climate change? Well, I think it's been a success by the right in this country to basically not discuss this seriously in the media. They've you know, had this false equivalency. They're trying to get the idea out that there is not a consensus in the scientific community about what's going on. And granted, this particular storm may or may not be a direct result of global warming, but certainly it should be a conversation that's had in the media. On to bicycles on a hillside desert. It was a PBS Frontline that aired called Climate of Doubt. Uh, it was about climate change and how they got people to doubt it, etc. Very good. Uh, I didn't watch it, but from uh, other people here who did watch it, uh, they say that it was very good. And uh, there, Chris Mooney, who is a guy that is a pretty good writer, a very progressive guy, uh, wrote about it in Mother Jones, etc. You know, what just frustrated me and what I wanted to say is they all do these different reports uh, about what's going on and they have all these different explanations as to why the guys who are in climate denial one and the guys who are pushing for uh, the government to recognize climate change have lost for the moment being is it permanent is it temporary is it I mean come on come on come on it frustrates me so much when all these people keep guessing in the dark about oh gee who's gonna win who's gonna lose why is it happening it's the money, Lebowski. Look how many times have we been right about that? Look at which side the money is on. At the least 95% of the time, and I'm being conservative by saying that, that's the side that wins. So, gee, who's going to win the climate change side? Well, of course the climate deniers are going to win. It doesn't have anything else to do with any other factors, not what the American people think. And they're, and they're scratching their head. They're like, oh, I don't get it. Because it seems like the polls indicate the American people think that climate change is real. But yet our government isn't doing anything. Yeah, of course, of course, because our government doesn't give a shit about the American people. Because they don't think that's who gets them elected. They think the guys who give me campaign contributions are the ones that get me elected are the guys that I work for. I mean, come on, how long is it going to take you to figure this out? Like, they're having a real conversation about, oh, gee, will we do anything about climate change? Of course we're not going to do anything about climate change. 
Because the oil guys, whether it's the Coke Industries, as I told you about earlier in the show, whether it's uh, ExxonMobil and the giant amount of lobbying that the five big oil companies have done, which I told you about last week, the insane amount of money they spend lobbying. Gee, I wonder who's going to win. Of course they're going to win. How are we having this conversation? How could you not recognize that? They drive me crazy. So can we win? Yes. But it would either take getting money out of politics by some miracle. You know, I obviously think the best way to do that is Wolfpack. Otherwise, we wouldn't have set it up. Website is wolf-pack.com, right? But okay, on the single issue like climate change, I guess if we kept getting hit with storms like Sandy every other month, every other week, what would it take? It had to take something insanely dramatic, because we already have something that dramatic. And they're still not going to do anything about it, because they've been bribed. They're corrupt. Get it through your thick head. Even if they don't think they're corrupt, even if they don't think they're two-bit bribed politicians, they are, because the whole system has been set up with, you take donor money, you win. If you don't take donor money, you go home. So what do they do? They take donor money! Come on, guys, come on. Figure this thing out already. Jesus Christ, how dense is our entire political system? All the pundits, all the analysts, and even guys I like, and even PBS, they do a wonderful documentary, but they don't understand what is the driving force when it's so obvious. All right, I think I made myself clear on that. I'm going to say one last thing about it. It's not just about climate change. I don't want you to get me wrong. I read these goddamn articles every day about all these different issues. Like, oh, golly gee, I wonder why this happened on this issue. Oh, I can't tell. Here's my theory on this, and here's my theory on that. And every time you look, oh, who's got more money? Oh, that side won. That side, that side. You do this whole thing. Oh, look, the guys with more money won every time. Oh, well, oh, oh, well, my theory is that, you see, the people in Ohio have gone in this... What are you wasting my goddamn time for? Well, this is enough for real, afraid to feel. I chose to hit the floor, don't ask for more. Now we're still my same. Now we're still my same. You can't drop the feeling, there is no reason. Just make the call and take it all again. Whoa. I've had a long time to write and speak and think about this gathering climate crisis. And in the last few years, I've become something of an activist, too, along with my friends at 350.org and with people all over the planet. We've marched and we've rallied. Now we're ready for the most important step yet. Beginning in November, we're traveling across the country, taking a 21-city tour of America in 21 nights on a biodiesel bus. We're calling this roadshow Do the Math. And the math in question are some of the most important numbers you'll ever hear. It turns out that the fossil fuel industry has five times more coal and oil and gas in its reserves than even the most conservative government in the world thinks would be safe to burn. But they will burn it unless we figure out how to slow them down. That's what this night will be about. It'll be a, a special evening, a rotating cast of speakers and musicians and video. It'll be interesting, but it'll also be the launch pad for a new kind of movement, one that really offers our last best chance to do something about this gathering crisis. Go to math.350.org and get tickets so that we can see you along the road. Thanks.
people around the world are using today as a day of action in fighting climate change. Hundreds of environment campaigners gathered in Edinburgh today. In the spring of 1888, you know what? Way back, the skies over New York and New Jersey and southern New England opened up and it snowed for days and days and days. More than four feet of snow piled up, howling wind. There were drifts of snow that were 50 feet high. A report from the New York Times back then describes New York City as helpless in a tornado of wind and snow. It was the great blizzard of 1888 and by the time it ended, Quote, every horse, car, and elevated railroad train had stopped running. Quote, the electric wires, telegraph and telephone, were nearly all broken. Jordan Weissman of the Atlantic dug up this old newspaper drawing of what the storm was like, 1888. And if you look at this old photo, you can see why the blizzard put out the lights. This was New York. Look, the electric wires strung overhead where the elements could knock them down. Hundreds of people died in that storm. An enormous number of buildings burned because fire departments couldn't reach them. When the snow finally melted, the runoff was so great that it created floods. The Great Blizzard of 1888 was a huge disaster. New York City historian Rick Burns reminded, about it, reminded us about it last night, of how New York City responded to that long-ago disaster. New York City then built the modern subway so the trains could keep running even in the elements. And they built a new electrical system, this time with the wires not overground but underground. Before the Great Blizzard in 1888, New York City had been fighting for years about whether to put the wires underground. But after the blizzard, the abstract political debate stopped and the innovation began. They had a problem that everybody could see, overhead wires vulnerable to storms, and they fixed that problem, they put the wires underground. The scale of the still unfolding disaster of this storm, of Sandy, is stunningly vast in terms of human misery and economic damage and how widespread it is. New York City alone is losing something like $200 million a day every day that the power stays out and the transportation system doesn't work. New York City has the 17th largest economy in the world. If New York City were a country, it'd be the 17th largest national economy in the world. You unplug that and everybody hurts. Whether you live in Manhattan or New Jersey or you live in Idaho, if you do not feel it yet where you live, just wait a minute because it's coming. We have known this disaster was coming. For the one in five Americans who live somewhere on an American coast near the sea, Weird weather and rising seas have been almost a scheduled nightmare. We knew this was coming. We knew that storms like Sandy will keep coming, and maybe with increasing frequency. Once that threat stops being too scary to consider, and it starts being a river in your street or in your house, then all that stuff that has seemed inexorably mired in esoteric ideological political fights is no longer esoteric or hypothetical. It's no longer even partisan. In the city of Yonkers, New York today, the Democratic mayor there rationed gasoline to stop people from clogging the roads in Yonkers as they looked for somewhere to fill their tanks. The mayor said no more of that. Yonkers has a 10-gallon limit per person until further notice. In the city of New York, the mayor first elected as a Republican put an emergency rule into effect that said you need three people in your car before you are allowed to drive into this city. The city established checkpoints for drivers coming into Manhattan in order to enforce that remarkable rule and try to unclog city streets. No subways, right? The rationing and the checkpoints are controversial and very intrusive, but local governments decided right now, at least in the short term, they've got to find a way forward, a big way forward right now. For a few years now, the government of New York City has talked in very clear terms about climate change and the stuff New York City is going to have to build if we're going to continue having a New York City. At the national level, the debate over climate change comes down to, like, Barbara Boxer or James Inhofe as the head of the Environment Committee, right? Debating over polar bears and igloos on the Washington Mall. And God bless them both. But the ocean has already surged into New York, and the city is going to have to decide something now. They say it would cost $5 billion per barrier to protect New York City from the sea using one of these high-tech surge barriers out at the sea. $5 billion. To anybody who wonders whether we could afford something like that, I offer arithmetic. Sandy is now estimated to cost this region an estimated $60 billion. So just for kicks, we could build eight of those $5 billion barriers and we could get $20 billion change back along with saving ourselves. With this historic 
fairly predictable, fully predicted disaster. What is possible has become undefined by need, by what is so clearly needed. What is possible is being redefined by what is happening around us. Hi, Jay. This is Ethan. I am calling in response to the clip by the Young Turks about Boy Scout discrimination. I'm glad that the show finally had an episode about this. I completely disagree, though, that we should reject the Boy Scout. When Virginia banned gay marriage, the Democrat convention was still kept in the state. We didn't walk away just because they had done something we disagreed with. I think this is also true for the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts may be wrong on this, but they also do a number of great things. For example, the Boy Eagle Scout Service Projects have the most service hours of any in the country. Many of the Boy Scout principles are great things to install in today's youth. The way to change the Boy Scouts is from the inside. I am a Boy Scout for gay rights. Most of the Boy Scout youth I have talked with usually disagree with the policy. Some troops have completely ignored it. There are two board members of the Scouts that have came out against the policy. How did these things happen? It's because there is a great movement within the Boy Scouts to allow gays. If we completely reject an organization, will we change it? No, we never will. The only way to win gay right battles are from the inside. That's how equality happens. Hope that, I hope that was something interesting to think about. I love the show, and I hope I'm not the only teenager listening to it. Keep up the good work. Have a good day. Hey, Jay, this is Simon in San Antonio. I just finished uh, the Election Day episode. I just want to say I thought it was very well produced. I thought it was great. Um, it's 3.36 Central Time. The first poll should be closing in an hour and a half or so. And, um, you know, let's just hope democracy wins in a country that is so free where anybody can vote as long as they have certain IDs some places and as long as their vote counts because we have an electoral college and they're in a the state where it actually matters, which I'm not because I'm in Texas. So I vote green because I, you know, why not just throw my vote away? Oh, gosh. Uh, but I look at, uh, I'm a big fan of the 538 blog and some of the other people that don't just talk, you know, hyperbolic bullshit. But um, actually use things like science and you know aggregate and um, you know they think about things a little bit. So uh, um, I got Obama by 117 points. I'm not sure what that means. You know what? I'm gonna start this all over. No, I'm not gonna start over. Uh, I, I, all I was gonna call and say initially was that it was a well-produced show. So let me go back and just be hey Jay. It was a really well-produced show. And, um, you know, you're, you're awesome and go Obama. Or, you know, not Mitt Romney. Go not Mitt Romney. Whatever. Go Jill Stein. Freedom! Hey, Jay. It's John from Reno. Had a couple of thoughts about the market, uh, tanking today after Obama's, um, winning in the election yesterday. My conservative friends were trying to argue that, well, that's proof that we made a bad decision. We being the nation collectively made a bad decision by uh, re-electing Obama. And my first reaction was that they just, the market was just reacting to the idea of maybe perhaps hopefully having to pay their fair share in taxes uh, next year. But then my second thought was if the markets are what we use to judge whether we made a good decision on our elected officials, namely our president, then maybe we should just have them pick them ourselves. Obviously, this is a tongue-in-cheek argument, but and you could also further argue that the market already is too involved or the banks are already too involved in our elected uh, official process. But anyway, those are my thoughts. Uh, keep up the good work.
Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. And yes, please do keep those voicemails coming in about the election. If you have uh, you know, thoughts and reactions on the election itself, thoughts uh, on where you think the country should go, what we should focus on going forward, uh, thoughts on the lame duck session coming up, you know, anything you want, uh, call those in 206-202-3410. And I'm probably going to skew the results a little bit because I'm going to tell you what I think uh, the country should be focusing on next. And it's it's what I've been uh, kind of pushing a little bit in the last few shows. And uh, so, and I have an update on, on that. So the uh, 350.org is on uh, tour. They're launching a big new campaign. It's a divestment campaign, uh, rallying people to pull money out of fossil fuel companies as a way to decrease their ability to yeah, you know, fund misinformation about climate change and so on. You heard Bill McKibben talk on his 350.org uh, promotional video for for this entire thing in today's show. And I've mentioned that so they're going to be in cities all over the country and uh, they're going to be in Washington, D.C., where I live on November 18th. So I said, I'll be there. If you want to show up, you should. That'd be a great thing. And that's where I have the update because now that Obama has been reelected, it's time to continue putting pressure on him to do uh, the right thing, you know, do what he sort of intimated he may do in terms of the Keystone XL pipeline. You may rem- remember that as being uh, the, the purpose of of the largest mass arrest of any environmental issue where, you know, a bunch of people went to the White House, chained themselves to the fence, hundreds of people were arrested, and, uh, and, and so that issue is coming up again. So on, uh, on November 18th, there's the 1 p.m. 350.org event that I already told you about. But immediately after the event, there's a 3 p.m. march and rally at the White House. Uh, again, on the Keystone XL pipeline issue, and this is what uh, they have to say about it. As you'll recall, our efforts last year slowed down President Obama's final decision on the full Keystone XL pipeline, which would open a massive new spigot to the biggest carbon pool on the continent, Canada's tar sands. With the election now over, the decision on the pipeline is imminent. The administration hinted it could come in the first quarter of 2013, making Keystone XL one of the first and clearest tests of the leg President Obama will have on the climate. So again, I will be at the 1 p.m. event. I will be at the 3 p.m. event. If you are anywhere in the vicinity of Washington, D.C., I recommend you come down and check it out. Uh, this, you know, this is the big climate issue that we're able to rally around right now. This is the the decision that is being made most imminently and and something that we've been able to have an effect on as the environmental movement uh, in, in the past and hope to continue to have an effect on going forward. So go to math.350.org where you can get all the details on the 1 p.m. event in Washington, D.C. Uh, on the 18th or any details on all of the events around the country uh, or simply mark your calendar and show up at the White House at 3 p.m. on November 18th. So that's going to do it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations to the show. Thanks to everyone who's been voting in the podcast awards. Those are still going until November 15th. So please set an alarm, vote every day for best of left and uh, best news and politics as well as best produced categories. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Right.